Hello, my friends. Hello again. This is Chris. Let's wrap up this race report. If you haven't been following along, this is the third in a series of recaps for the 250-mile bike ride I did this summer across my home state of Massachusetts. I budgeted four days for the trip for the whole adventure with two days of riding, bracketed by a day of buffer on both sides. And now today I'm going to talk about day three of the trip, which would be day two of the ride itself. <clears throat> so as I recap last time, day one of the ride from Savoy, Massachusetts to Patriot's Place in Foxborough ended up being 127.7 miles on my Garmin. Um, it was a challenging hot day through the back roads and hill towns of Western Mass that took me just over 10 hours, 10 hours and three minutes, I think. And I did not stop my Garmin at any point. So that 10 hours and three minutes includes all the breaks. I have learned that whenever I actually stop my watch at a break to try to get the real moving time, I inevitably forget to turn it back on. And then I'm like, ah, I don't know, right? So I did hit a detour and had a flat at the end, right at the end of that ride that slowed me down a bit um, and turned me around, added some miles. <clears throat> so after dinner on Saturday night, I changed that tire and tube of that flat tire on the back tire. So I had two extra brand new tires with me. And as I have recounted earlier, I was riding my mountain bike, my 29er, my Motobacan 29er. And I had bought some small block tires with this less aggressive tread because I knew I was going to do a lot of this rail trail and road training. Um, these are not road tires per se, but they are closer to road tires. Um, by the time I got to this ride from all the training during the summer, these had, these had worn significantly, um, especially that rear, rear tire that's doing all the work. And that's where I picked up the flat. So I decided to swap out the whole tire and tube on the back for a new one, partly because it was just easier than monkeying around with the old stuff, um, and partly because it was time to change that out anyhow. I left the front tire on. Um, it was in better shape, and I didn't see a need to do that work <laughs> you know, in my tired state on Saturday night or to uh, even to introduce more variables right, by putting a new tire and tube on the front as well. So I cleaned, cleaned up the bike a bit, put some more lube on the chain, got all my gear ready to go for the next morning, and I set that alarm, and I slept like a rock. Both of the hotels we got for this trip were newer hotels, and they were both really nice, no problems at all, great service. Nobody gave me a hard time for dragging my dirty, smelly self and my big, dirty bike through these hotels. And as a matter of fact, there was a wedding going on at the Patriots Place Hotel that uh, we stayed at, and my wife saw Rick Hoyt. Um, I didn't go in and say hi, but apparently one of the Hoyt clan was having a wedding reception in the hotel. So there you go. Uh, day two, I had about 120 miles on the plan. I tried to set it up so day one was longer and harder and day two was easier. Uh, my first pit stop planned was at a Starbucks about 40 miles in uh, to meet Yvonne. And I had scheduled three stops into this day thinking that, you know, this day might be hard. I might be wrecked. I might need them. 
Um, and I need to get across southeastern Massachusetts from Foxborough to the Cape Cod Canal. And then I need to get over the canal onto the Cape and then up the length of the Cape for the ride. And from the canal, I'd, I'd have to find my way over to the Cape Cod Rail Trail that runs from Yarmouth all the way up to Wellfleet. And I would meet my wife again in Wellfleet and then just have a short push up to Provincetown at the end. So when I got up in the morning, it was cold, it was cool and foggy, felt great. And part of the unknown, frankly, about this trip, part of the learning was how would it feel to get back on the bike on that second day? Well, it turns out it felt fine. (laughs) And on this day, Yvonne didn't have to get up to drive me anywhere, so I just departed from the hotel, made my way out through the back parking areas of Gillette Stadium, in the quiet morning of a Sunday morning, uh, very peaceful, and got back on the route. I had the same setup with my phone mounted on the center of the handlebars and wired to a battery pack under the seat. I had my one remaining left ear pod in my ear with the nice Google Maps lady giving me turn-by-turns, and I had purchased an audiobook for the ride, specifically called Team of Rivals, and it's about Abraham Lincoln's presidency and his cabinet. So there I was, pedaling easy in the cool morning mist through the back roads of southeastern Mass, learning all about Salmon Chase and Edward Stanton. Fascinating stuff. The geography of southeastern Mass is different from northern and western parts of the state. It's it's flattish, and it's nearer to the coast, so there's cranberry bogs and small cities. It's a much different environment than the rest of Massachusetts. I pedaled my way through Bridgewater in the early part of the day, which is, how shall we say, a working class part of the state. And I got yelled at for jumping a four-way stop sign. And of course, he was right. We massholes are very particular about some things, and four-way stop etiquette is one of them. And I was in the wrong, so I got yelled at. Uh, there was a fair amount of construction in this section where I had to deal with the sticky new pavement, and I also had to navigate the prepped graded gravel roads for some couple of miles, and some of the back roads were pretty beat up as well. My legs felt fine. I was able to keep my nutrition going fine. My butt and my feet were okay. All systems were go. So answering that question of how would that second day feel felt fine. I uh, was also able to spend more time in the arrow position because there were fewer hills here, and that helped me relax. Then I met up with Yvonne at a Starbucks in Wareham, where she managed to get there ahead of me. <laughs> I fueled up and had her order me an iced coffee, but she came out with a hot coffee. They made a mistake, which was fine, but I just got off the bike from riding 40 miles, uh, so I really wanted an iced coffee. Um, After much waiting on the Starbucks brain trust, I finally got my iced coffee, but I wanted to get going at this point, so I put it into one of my bike bottles, which was actually pretty awesome to drink an iced coffee as you're riding. Uh, It was a nice treat as I rode the next few miles. And as I got closer to the canal, I was on some super busy roads through Wareham. I had to pay attention not to get run over by tourists. The next big unknown for me was how I was going to get across the Cape Cod Canal. So Google Maps seemed to think it was possible, but I would soon find out whether it was or not. 
And the Cape Cod Canal is a waterway that cuts straight through the base of the arm of Cape Cod from south to north or north to south. It was created, I don't know, about 100 years ago so that ships wouldn't have to go all the way around Cape Cod, the long way. And it's uh, about 17 miles long, running from Buzzards Bay in the south up to Cape Cod Bay in the north. And for the purpose of our narrative, the canal cuts right across the route, and we have to get over it. There are two big Army Corps of Engineer bridges over the canal, the Bourne Bridge and the Sagamore Bridge, one on the north and one on the south. These are old-style high-hump bridges that allow the ship traffic to go under them. Uh, they are They have on them two narrow high-speed lanes in each direction, with this large sidewalk on one side, really not designed for foot traffic or bicycle traffic. So back to the story. Google Maps did a great job of finding all the rail trails for me to follow, and it popped me out on the southern end of the canal onto the canal trail. And this was another one of those cool discoveries for me. It turns out there's this beautifully maintained wide bike trail that runs the length of the canal on both sides. And this was, you know, maybe 50 miles into the second day. And it was late morning by the time I hit the canal trail. And it was just this gorgeous sunny day next to the canal. Lots of people and families out on the trail, lots of boats out in the canal. It was really nice. And it routed me up the west side of the canal under the Bourne Bridge. So past the Bourne Bridge and all the way up to the Sagamore, where apparently I'd be making that crossing. So I had to get across the busy road um, one point, but it had a sidewalk, so I had to walk the bike there, and then it circled me back around through some like sidewalks around the back and up onto that raised sidewalk of the bridge. And this sidewalk is raised up above the road service, surface by a really tall granite curb and it's there's no railing there right so you you're a couple short feet away from this screaming metal hellscape of four narrow lanes of high-speed traffic uh the signs say walk your bike um i did not i kind of rode it up there but i did stop at the apex of the bridge of the arch to take some video uh, with the boats way down below and the peaceful canal. And one funny thing I discovered was that the sidewalk here is covered with pennies and other coins. As far as I could determine, people were throwing coins out the windows of their cars when they go over the bridge. So they try to get it over the sidewalk, over the railing, into the canal. Like a big wishing well, I guess. I think this custom goes back to the Romans, paying tribute to the water gods they used to do this. Uh, the pennies that don't make it over the railing, they gather up on that raised sidewalk where I was. So I wonder if there's some sort of notice down below for the boats in the canal to be wary of high-velocity coin fall. I don't know. But once I got over the bridge, it was a quick button hook back down to the canal trail on the other side. It was starting to get hot again, but again, I'm on this beautiful, paved, wide, and of course, porta potty laden trail. Yay! Uh, but then the next bit of the road was a bit dicey, probably the diciest part of this day in terms of riding, uh, because when I got off the rail trail, I had to navigate Route 6A, 
which is an old, windy, narrow highway with a lot of traffic, uh, with no shoulder and, and a lot of disappearing shoulder, you know, where you'd have a shoulder, but then it would, you know, there'd just be a hole and it would drop off into sandy nothingness into the bushes. So I met up with Yvonne again at another coffee shop about 70 miles in. I was in really good spirits. The ride was going well. I felt fine. I got past that second day, you know, unknown, and I knew, you know, everything I needed to know about uh, 19th century American politics at this point. And I was about, and I was about to get on the Cape Cod Rail Trail, which was home territory, which was home territory for me. This is a 25 mile stretch of paved rail trail, um, which I had been training on all summer. I know this trail really well. Um, so all summer, at least those weekends when I was down the Cape at my house in Harwich. But I had to get over to the rail trail in Yarmouth from that coffee shop on 6A, which is sort of the north side. So I had to like cut across to the south side. Um, and this ended up being harder than I thought. First, I had to deal with 6A again, which is a pain. And then I had to cut across the arm of the Cape from north to southish, northish, northish to southish to pick up the trail. Um, one thing people don't know about Cape Cod, typically, when they think of Cape Cod, it's quite hilly in the interior. Not hilly like Colorado or, or like even where I live even, but there's still a lot of pesky little rolling hills back in there. And finally, the, the final thing here, the final challenge I found is that it turns out Google Maps is confused about where the western trailhead for this trail is. Uh, the maps lady routed me to the middle of nowhere with no trails in sight. <laughs> and so I had to stop. I'm like, there's no trailhead here. Uh, luckily, I knew generally where I was and was able to look, you know, zoom out on the map and and find a landmark where I knew the trail was and uh, and route myself to that. So I ended up getting on the trailhead in Dennis. So that that probably cost me a lot of a little bit of distance, but it also wasted a lot of time and wasted a lot of energy uh, reading the map and trying to figure that out. And once I was on that trail, it was easy street for a couple hours. It was still a hot day, but this trail has great tree cover for the most part, and it's super easy going. Uh, and that was good because, you know, I was into the 90s now, mile-wise, and I was starting to feel the cumulative tiredness of of riding for two straight days. And the next and last stop was at the Wellfleet Trailhead at the north end of the trail. And this would put me at about 100 miles, just short of a, a little push up to Provincetown, P-Town as they call it in the lingo. And what happens here is that the rail trail just ends and you have to get back on roads to get that final bit up to P-Town. And this was probably the low point of this total ride, if there was a, a low point. I was pretty tired and, and frankly looking forward to finishing. And as I pulled in and met Yvonne, she was somehow under the impression that this was where I was going to stop my ride. Uh, and she got mad when I told her, no, I'm going up the province down. So it wasn't a great point in the journey to get in a fight with your crew. And uh, she went off in a huff, so that kind of was a downer. Um, I climbed back on and cranked my tired legs up 6A again towards the end. 
Now, you can sort of use back roads to kind of zigzag around 6A here. The Cape's really narrow here. Um, but I was pretty tired to mess with it, so I mostly stuck to the big road, which kind of sucked because it was traffic-y and dirty and, and, and hilly and no cover, and my legs were trash at this point. So in this section, I was battling a little bit. And finally, you get to a point where you get to cross onto this access road that runs along the bay on the inside of the Cape uh, up to P-Town. And this is a pretty flat section with the ocean on your left. And it's funny how the big miles at the beginning the beginning of the ride seemed to fly by, right? You don't even think about it. You just eat up miles and hours. But by the those last few miles, they just seem to take forever, right? And it was here that I ended up walking a hill. And what happened was I was coming down a, a slight hill into an intersection with the intention of using my momentum to get up the other side. But a car cut me off and I had to come to a complete stop, right? And burned all my, my momentum. And it was kind of a mental buzzkill. So I couldn't convince my trash legs to grind up the other side. So I took a took a break and pushed the bike up a little 50-foot riser on the other side. But before long, I was getting into Provincetown proper. Now, one thing I had not thought about on this ride planning was how difficult it would be to get through the center of Provincetown on a Sunday afternoon in the summer. Provincetown in August is a bit like Carnival. It's this 200-year-old fishing village that has thousands of partiers dumped into it. Uh, so little tiny roads filled up with stop-and-go cars, tourists, scooters, bikes, pedestrians, bedlam. And here I am, fairly wobbly, <laughs> on my big mountain bike, trying to navigate through it all without crashing into anybody. And then, finally, I was turning on to McMillan Pier, and I rode all the way out to the end of the pier and hit stop on the watch, which read 123.73 miles and 10 hours and 15 minutes for an average pace of 12.1 miles per hour, including all the stops. And my wife called me, which was good, because I thought she may have abandoned the project and gone home. But in fairness to her, it was a pretty big ask. Uh, hey, why don't you spend two days in the car following me? And probably not the best use of her weekend, right? Uh, she wasn't able to actually get into downtown where I was because of all the, the carnival crush. Um, it's, it's a weird place, Provincetown. <laughs> you know, all the weird goes to the edges in our country and Provincetown's one of those. Um, but she was, uh, she was out idling at a parking lot a few blocks away. So I got in a couple little bonus mileage there riding over to her without the Garmin on. And we threw the bike in the back and we took off back down Cape to Harwich where our house is. Uh, all in all, I was pretty pleased with myself and the ride in terms of difficulty. It really wasn't that hard, but it probably was the right adventure for me at this point in my journey. Uh, we stopped at our house just long enough to shower and change and hop back on the road. Yvonne was sick of being out. She was sick of being out traveling and she wanted to get home. So I wouldn't need that fourth buffer day after all. Turns out we got turned around a little bit trying to shortcut through the suburbs of southeastern Mass back to our house, but 
you know, we got there eventually, and we slept in our own bed that night. Uh, the next day, felt fine. No hangover at all from riding. I mean, I could have easily gotten back on the bike for another day. I mean, I think I could have gone forever. Um, this this wasn't that hard. I did have some saddle burn. That took a week or so to heal up. Uh, overall, I find the bike riding at this pace, right, at this pace, um, to be easy in the endurance sense. My heart rate stays low. Even in these long, hot back-to-back rides, heart rate never got up. Uh, it's a good workout, but it's never hard. I never felt like I was at the edge. Uh, maybe that's what I needed at this point, right? Who knows? So that's it. Two days, 250 miles or whatever, something close to that. Uh, 127.7 on the first day in 10 hours and 3 minutes. Uh, slower. 124.73, That was that 24 or 23, something like that, in 10 hours and 14 minutes on the second day, found some new trails, had an adventure. So uh, what's going on with me next as we exit our, our bike story? Let's bring you up to modern times. Well, it's taken much longer for me to get over uh, throwing out my back that I talked about last time a couple of weeks ago. I tried to restart my weightlifting, which was a mistake too soon. So I got to take this week off as well. So, and it makes me feel quite sad and broken, you know, with all these setbacks, not being able to do something, anything to stay fit. It makes me squirmy. I suppose it's all another good lesson in resilience, but who among us takes this foul-tasting medicine well? And, uh, you know, my also the other stuff going on, macro stuff, my company shut down travel for the rest of the year, which means I've been trapped in my home office looking at the walls far too much. I feel a bit like a crazy old recluse. Uh, and without that daily run, you know, or that daily workout, I just need that. It, because without it, it makes the walls close in a little bit. So I guess it's time for me to take up some new hobbies like competitive lawn bowling or pickleball or, hell, maybe even golf. I don't know. It's all very confusing and transitional for me to be sliding into my 60th birthday on this dust ball, not knowing what the future holds. Uh, <laughs> I had my I had my follow-up appointment with the knee doctor, and he, he wasn't very encouraging. I don't like this doctor. I may have to fire him. And I've got an MRI today, uh, and then we'll do a follow-up and see what's going on in there. I really miss running on these cool fall days. I really miss it. Uh, Ali Wali, the killer collie, is doing well. He's doing fine. We get out for our walk every day. He's, uh, he's three and a half now, getting much less crazy every day. He's a sweetheart of a dog. I've got no races or projects on the calendar, so I need to invent something. Uh, the Mill Cities Relay is in December. I'll have to do the two-mile leg there, so I'll have to figure out how to get enough <laughs> enough training to run two miles. Huh, how the mighty have fallen. I am planning on restarting that bodybuilding campaign, that, that campaign, that uh, 12-week beginner program, as soon as my back lets me. And depending on what the MRI reveals, maybe I can work some light running in uh, as well. So at this point, I guess I have to tell a story to take you out. So my company requires us to take two volunteer days a year. 
Now, on the surface, this sounds like a great thing. And reality is that it's hard for me to find and plan something sort of worthwhile to volunteer for during the work week in a year. I have friends that do this very well. They work at homeless shelters and build houses for Habitat for Humanity and all sorts of other charities. But for some reason, I find it hard to coordinate with these sort of official charity opportunities and plan it. So last year, I used my two volunteer days doing trail maintenance in the local trails that I run. So basically, I hiked around the trails with the dog and picked up trash and cut and moved deadfall which was nice, but it didn't really feel like I was adding much value to uh, to the world. felt like I was cheating. And I always discover that I have to use these days about this time of year when time's running out for the year, and I, have them, I still haven't used them. So this year I decided to take a Friday off and pick up trash on the roads around my house. I figured I could clean up those roads that I used to run every day. Uh, it always bothers me to see trash along my beautiful New England roads. I don't understand why people can't just keep the trash in their cars until they get where they're going. But that's a human nature thing, I guess. So last Friday, I took a volunteer day. It was a bit harder than it should have been because my back was still really sore. So I couldn't really bend over and lift very well. But you know, a deal's a deal. So I went over to a section of road near my house, which is part of the uh, five-mile base route that I've run a million times. It's an old road. It In this section, I targeted it runs flat through a swampy area, so there's no houses. With the dry weather this summer, the water table is very low, and thus more of the swampy parts are accessible, so it's good for picking up trash there. I drove my truck over there and parked about midway down the section, and I took out a couple of big black plastic trash can liner bags and, and got to work. And it felt a little little odd, a little strange being out there by myself walking and picking up trash on a Friday during the day. I didn't know if maybe someone would yell at me or report my strange behavior to the local authorities who would come and chase me off for not having the proper permits or something. You never know. So I began filling my bag with cans and bottles and bags and wrappers, anything I could reach. And it was maybe a quarter mile stretch, not a big section of road, maybe a half a mile. Um, And I stayed off the shoulder as much as I could to stay out of the road and away from the cars. I mean, there isn't that much traffic here, but it's an old road with narrow shoulders. And I didn't want to cause anybody to have to swerve or, or get excited. Didn't want to offend anyone. And when I got to the end of the road, I crossed over, turned around to walk down the other side. And this is where a strange thing happened. When I was about midway down this other side, a passing car slowed down and pulled over. The driver rolled down his passenger window. Yeah, I'm thinking, here we go. (laughs) I've offended someone or something. And this guy leans over from the driver's side and shouts out the window at me very earnestly, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. (laughs) Incredibly earnest, apparently somehow moved by me dragging a trash bag full of beer cans down the road. 
Uh, so he may have said something else praiseworthy, I don't know, before driving off. Frankly, I had my one headphone in and was listening to a compelling science fiction story. I really didn't know how to respond. I guess I probably smiled and nodded my head in acknowledgement. Uh, so I finished up that side of the road and completed the circuit back to the other side, down, down to my truck, collected two bags of miscellaneous cast-off refuse. And uh, when I sorted through it the next day, I found that the majority, like 80% of this stuff was recyclable. And I even got some money for returning the cans and bottles. So there you go. Uh, the lesson here, I guess, is that, you know, what you're doing, you think, is super small, maybe even insignificant, maybe even a meaningless act in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I wasn't feeding the hungry or helping the homeless, or solving the world peace problem. But what I did on that day, that small action, apparently had a large impact on one person's life, a fellow traveler. I always use the metaphor here of ripples in a pond. You know, we don't know who we're going to impact by doing things. Every act we take, no matter how small, creates ripples that spread out in ways unknown to us. So if you make that act an act of kindness, it'll spread kindness. If you make that act an act of helpfulness, it will propagate that helpfulness. Even small actions can change the world in that way. So thanks for staying with me on this bike narrative thingy. And I hope you enjoyed this this narrative in general. And we'll see what our next adventure is. And with any luck, I might see you out there.